Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling ideas in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week, we are continuing with Catching Fire, looking at chapters 24 and 25. Chris, can you give us a recap? Absolutely. Katniss follows Prim's screams and finds out it's actually a Jabberjay. But when Finnick hears Annie screams, they question if the Capitol recorded their loved ones in pain. They run into a transparent wall and realize they're stuck there, listening to a chorus of the pain of all their loved ones for a full hour. After, the rest of the group convinces them that the voices had to be manufactured, and Johanna challenges the Capitol and says that there's nobody left that she loves. One more tribute dies, and they see the lists of deaths that night, then get a delivery of 24 District 3-style rolls. Katniss and Peeta take watch, with Peeta trying to convince her to let him die and her live, until she starts kissing him, awakening a new type of hunger inside of her. <gasps> they get another bread delivery the next day, and Katniss and Peeta secretly discuss leaving the group after the careers are dead. Beatty explains his plan to electrocute the careers using his wire and the 12 o'clock lightning strike, and they spend the day preparing and resting. Peeta finds a pearl and gifts it to Katniss, but he sees in her eyes that he did not convince her, and Katniss ends the evening thinking about how to ensure that she dies and not him. So why don't we go into our striking moments? This is where we talk about things that really stood out to us this read-through. One that I had was when Katniss is trying to explain to Finnick that it's just Jabber Jays. Mm-hmm. And she starts saying, it's not your, and then she just says, Annie. Mm-hmm. And it made me start thinking about what she was going to say, what that sentence was even going to be in her mind beforehand, and why she didn't finish it, why she just said Annie. And it made me start thinking that maybe she was going to say, it's not your lover or your loved ones. Mm-hmm. And that she decided not to say that in part because... She didn't want to challenge the narrative that he's clearly been putting out. Mm-hmm. And even as she is subconsciously thinking constantly about how they can't both survive this, there's still a part of her, I think, that is automatically trying to protect him or protect mm-hmm. aspects of him uh, and to protect Annie in a way, too. Totally. Because she already, within the one year, recognizes all the ways that the capital will use your love against you. So she doesn't want to make it worse, you know, as much as Finnick is making it clear that he loves Annie in this. And clearly the capital already knows that since they weaponize her against him. But yeah, it just was, a, I think, a powerful moment of how, again, Katniss's actions rather than her thoughts and how her actions are showing here strategic compassion for mm-hmm. him in just that moment of changing her sentence totally yeah i mean and it's also strategic maybe not compassion because if wealthy sponsors who were convinced that his poem was about them mm. you know find out it's that he actually has a relationship with someone else maybe they would not be so generous it's a very good point and yeah. <laughs> again shows how you are actually more like Katniss than I am. <laughs> didn't even think about that <laughs> I know what a sweet boy <laughs> but also now that's making me think I wonder what the capital did because there has to be all sorts of questions now who is this annie Mm -hmm. you know did they say oh it's his cousin you know like but there's also this long history for her maybe five years that she's been a victor and for him 10 that if it's never been mentioned before that'd be weird so i could imagine all sorts of conspiracy theories of, Absolutely. Of, among fans and yeah that's actually what i'm going to get to my wonder oh, bits, okay so. okay let's let's go on to i have one other one if that's okay. all right yeah no uh, it's not chris rude <laughs> um katniss mentions how with the roll call the second evening she sees how 16 tributes have been killed in one and a half days Yep. and how that's like a record for this and for one it kind of struck me because i 
always forget how quick these games are. Mm-hmm. But even more so, it made me start thinking this time about how many of them are killed by the arena rather than each other. And while it's clear that that isn't an uncommon thing in games generally, where they've got waves and volcanoes and all these other ways that tributes will often die from the arena, the games prior, it really was more, I think, tributes killing each other. And the arena was more of an environment meant to facilitate those kinds of violent uh, interactions. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just such a different set up in these games because of just the deadly aspects of the 12 different wedges in the arena. Yeah, it's like a third of them were killed by each other. Mm-hmm. And it seems like maybe another third weren't that were just caught, killed by the arena. And then five more all on a team. <laughs> it's a very interesting breakdown compared to, yeah, what I expect would be usual. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, she really only has two people she's watching out for and chaff she's not even sure what's going on with him Mm -hmm. but it's i think a a very different kind of games but it makes me think about you know what what can lead to that because i think part of it is that so many of them aren't really out there hunting each other the way they were in the previous games but i also think that there might be an element of or i wonder if there's an element of if There's a kind of from on high mission for the game makers to make this more deadly because they want to send a message, however subliminal, that the capital is killing them. That this Mm -hmm. is power against the tributes the same way that the quarter quell was talking about. The capital is still more powerful than even your strongest um, mm-hmm. And that this is kind of another way of, of utilizing that. And I think that... Look at all the different ways we can kill you. Exactly. Or torture you or, or just mm-hmm. make make life awful. So, yeah, I think that that's surprising considering some of the background information we get about these games later on in this book and in the next book. But it's just something that, that made me really, really start thinking a lot in these chapters, um, in large part because I'll be talking a lot about the moment with the Jabberjays, because I think that that's a really, really interesting one. Definitely. Yeah, I think it's a potentially foolish break from the capital stance prior, where it's, let's make the glorified violence of it primarily be people from the districts doing it to other people from Mm -hmm. the districts. And we'll get involved sometimes to keep things interesting. And we'll definitely remind everybody that we can make mutts and and things like that. But part of their power comes from the districts watching that district's kids kill our district's kids, you know, and and things like that. And here in a time when there is so much rebellion going on and, and overt challenging of the capital in the districts these games might just spur that on even more Mm -hmm. anger and a hopelessness that not in in their endeavor to try to overturn the capital but that anything could ever change with the capital and their oppressive torments of, of the districts and so you might as well try to rebel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, same. It's it, a lot of interesting questions there. Yeah, and comparing the arenas, it reminds me of how, for the last book, we talked a bit about architectures created for violence, environments designed for violence in different mm-hmm. ways. And now, obviously, these arenas are very much that. But like you were mentioning, the violence of this arena is different than the violence of the first arena. The arena itself is so much more of a threat itself that is not just a threat that is trying to bring them together to create these violent interactions but instead it is a threat of itself which uh yeah it's just a, a, a marked difference i think yeah which again i think is kind of foolish because if you are pe- people in the districts and the closest thing you have to a celebrity from your district is victors Mm -hmm. right and to see these people that maybe some people you know regardless of how 
sometimes they have self-destructive coping mechanisms and things like that, but still they're the only people in their district that brought any amount of prosperity for a bit. Yeah. Prosperity is too strong a word. <laughs> uh, sustenance for a bit or... Um, Pride. Exactly, yeah. especially for, for the career districts. And to see people that maybe some people idolize or at least respected turn and just kill others, that would dismantle that idea mm-hmm. more effectively uh, than them being killed by the Capitol. Totally, yeah. But we all know that snow is a spiteful one. Yes. <laughs> and that he's short-sighted in that way. Yeah, Because yeah. of how convinced he is of his absolute power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, what are your striking moments? Yeah, w- one of the things I was thinking about is on the Jabberjays and being stuck in there with them. And I was just noticing this read through how Finnick reacts to them versus how Katniss reacts to them. Mm-hmm. And noticing how Finnick assumes that they tortured their loved ones to get the audio. He also automatically gives up drops to the ground and covers his ears when he realizes that they can't get out of the mm-hmm. wedge. I just feel like it's a really apt demonstration of how Finnick has had 10 years of firsthand experience of the horrors the Capitol will put victors through mm-hmm. and has kind of, to some extent, accepted that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whereas Katniss is a new victor, and Katniss is always looking for a way out, even if even if it's against the rules, like in in the previous games. And so I just I found it interesting how they react differently to Jabberjays. Yeah, totally. I was also struck by. Katniss relating Beatty explaining the plan and then letting them have the rest of the day off to do whatever because he's working out the logistics of it and she was relating it to a school teacher and being let out of school early. Mm-hmm. It just shows how she's still a kid. Mm. It shows how recently she experienced going to school. Mm. And that led me to another thought that isn't really textual, but I was like, oh, that's so interesting that she didn't return to school after she won the 74th Games. Yeah. Even though she was 16. Uh, It never mentions her going to school again. It mentions Prim going to school. That just, to me, shows that it's really not about learning and education. It's about raising up coal miners and yeah. since she wasn't going to be a coal miner now that she's a victor it doesn't matter for her to be there absolutely which i think is both social and that they don't really need her to be there that she has mm-hmm. a different function from the capital's point of view but also it's not like katniss is gonna be like but i want to learn yeah <laughs> totally <laughs> Well, that's the thing. It's like, my first thought was, well, I would want to still go. But mm-hmm. then I was like, actually, I probably wouldn't because it'd probably just all be propaganda and coal mining things. And I wouldn't want to learn those things. So, yeah. yeah. What's the point? <laughs> How sad. <laughs> and the last thing that, I, that was really standing out to me since last episode you were talking about paying attention to Finnick and Johanna's relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, was just a couple nice moments where Fennec says, oh, let's wake Johanna up before we talk about Beatty's plan. And then also when they were agreeing whether they would go forward with this plan, he looks to her first Mm -hmm. for her answer. And so, yeah, I just, I thought that that, just those small moments show how they have a relationship that is closer and there's also some great Katniss and Peeta moments where Beatty's like, oh, well, because he saw how part of the tree reacted to being thrown mm-hmm. against the forest field, he's like, oh, well, that explains a lot. And she looks at Peeta and they're both trying not to laugh because they're like, we have no idea what he's talking about. And they're joking about the Pearl and Evie and, you know, there's there's just a lot of moments between them as well that are 
distinct and and then it made me kind of sad because BD's person virus who maybe he would have had a little bit more of that with um isn't there Hmm. yeah that's that's very insightful look at you fulfilling my intention better than i am (laughs) what's new (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) but yeah i mean under normal circumstances it it would put bd in quite a precarious position Mm -hmm. if all of the other four are pretty good fighters and all of them have a partner in these games and and he's the standalone yeah but why don't we move into our from another point of view section this is where we are looking at a scene or something that's happening from a point of view other than katniss's who do you have i want to talk about annie Mm. because annie has to see how hard this is for finnick to hear this and to wish that she could tell him that it wasn't torture, that she, they didn't take her and torture her. If it wasn't. That's true. I mean, I, I'm convinced by everyone else's reasoning that they, they wouldn't have done this, that they could be easily manufactured this, and that they'll need to talk to other people for interviews and stuff anyway. I mean, they wouldn't kill them, absolutely not, but you can torture people in plenty of ways that don't show. That's true. And wouldn't the Capitol do that? That's why Finnick was convinced. True. So, so I'm taking the assumption that they were all right, and that, that of course you would take that assumption. Yes. <laughs> um, and so, if that was the case, I think that Annie, you know, would would be in particular pain seeing her weaponized against Finnick. Yeah. And seeing him break down in a way that she clearly has been really negatively affected and traumatized through her own experiences Mm -hmm. um and and kind of what that uh must be like how torturous that would be for her to watch him go through that but i was also thinking about her later on when pita and katniss are talking about her and Mm pita is explaining uh what happened in her games and they describe her as the mad girl from those games Mm -hmm. and she's described that way throughout the books But this is the first time that I saw a time where she would have been able to witness Hear it, yeah. And I wonder just how awful that is for her to hear that, Mm -hmm. Um, to hear herself described in that way by people who also, who who are among the closest to understanding what she's been through. Mm -hmm. And how isolating that is, how triggering that could be. She also, I imagine, if they're using that language so easily, has probably had in all the interviews and footage about her games heard that kind of language used as Mm -hmm. well. And so, yeah, I can imagine how hard it is for her to perhaps have been hearing this for five years or however long it's been and thinking how it's just another way the capital continues to re-traumatize her and re-ostracize her then hearing two people who maybe she respects district four was one of the districts that had an uprising maybe she was involved in that and that she's also seeing finnick risk his life for exactly Mm -hmm. and for them to use that kind of language about her also uh, and again, so flippantly is probably, yeah, really, really hurtful. Um, mm-hmm. And so I can just imagine that whole couple hours for her being really, really hard as uh, as a viewer. Totally. Yeah, that's a really good point. And like, sadly, she would expect from the capital to be thought of in ways like this, yeah. I'm sure. But yeah, from people who should understand a bit more yeah it would be hurtful in a different way as well as maybe make her feel much more shame than maybe when people from the capital say it because she's seen she knows some of the horrors that these other victors went through and they didn't have the same sort of reactions totally yeah and that can lead to, I think, even more negative self-talk for mm-hmm. people who have those kinds of mental illnesses. 
yeah. which can be even more difficult. You know, it reminds me of like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and other kinds of shows where mm-hmm. it's, uh, I- I've seen characters who struggle so much with not wanting to be crazy or mad or, mm-hmm. or what have you. Which is why we don't use that language. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's just the mental illness would be isolating in and of itself, but there's just another layer of how other people perceive your mental illness or talk about it that is further isolating. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about that same idea of someone watching them during the Jabber Jays, but I was thinking of it from Prim's point of view. Mm. So if the screams weren't real, I just imagined her feeling such a deep, sinking feeling of guilt that, again, I'm putting my sister in danger. I, again, these terrible things are happening to her because she cares about me. Mm. Because Katniss even has the part of the trauma that she has because she volunteered. Obviously, it's not Pram's fault. It's the Capitol's fault for having these games. But as a 13-year-old who is watching their sibling suffer because of this and that you're being weaponized in that way yeah I, I i just could imagine it making her feel so bad about her role in it even though she doesn't have a role in it you know but, but it yeah. would make her feel like she did i was also thinking about unfortunately snow <laughs> <laughs> never loved to be thinking about him but during the Jabberjay attacks, I was just imagining as soon as he knew that Jabberjays were going to be in the arena and that they were going to have the audio of their loved ones, you know, that he's been waiting and hoping that Katniss will get stuck in there. Yeah. And this part is a spoiler for the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes book. So if you haven't read that, you're going to want to skip three minutes ahead. I was also thinking about him having this kind of smug nostalgia for the first act that he did that opened the doors for him to become this dictator. Recording Sejanus mm. on, you know, with a Jabberjay, and that opened the door to get Sejanus out of the way, oh, and then wow. for him to get the money and go to university and have this mansion. All of the, where he's watching this from is the product of that decision. So, yeah, I just imagined him being really satisfied seeing the Jabberjays that he controls or in this one it's a it's a little more distant but i'm sure he still views it as controls you know uh take down katniss after they took down shizjanis yeah although i don't know how distant it was i i can imagine snow also wanting it being the person who made that happen Mm -hmm. um if the games are as important to the stability of the country as he makes out certainly in the Battle of Songbirds and Snakes, then I can totally see him having a kind of micromanagement element and, and ordering that be the case uh, or someone mm-hmm. on his close staff because I think it is a, a particularly pointed way of brutalizing the tributes and of illuminating how the capital won't just hurt you if you rise up. But mm-hmm. has the power to hurt anyone that you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've been watching too many things recently about serial killers. <laughs> um, was like, oh yeah, like Snow is, he's a serial murderer. Mm-hmm. And apparently, I was, I was looking some things up, serial poisoners have existed they're they're pretty rare but they definitely have existed and yeah i i know something that's pretty consistent with the psychology of serial killers is them wanting to relive the feeling of killing those Mm. they've killed and so yeah i was just imagining him sitting there enjoying watching it particularly because he 
hates Katniss so much. Yeah. And, I mean, for him, probably it's like, oh, how beautiful. Like, she's from District 12. And Sejanus, I mean, he wasn't from District 12, but that's where we were. And that's yeah. where I, you know, did this. And Lucy Gray was from District 12, you know, and just ugh, being disgusting in that way. Absolutely. Um, so, woo. Snow's the worst. <laughs> and uh, this is all very purposeful. <laughs> but why don't we move into our touch points? This is where we look at some of the things that are happening in these chapters and see how it reflects things that are happening in our society. The first one I wanted to mention just briefly was BD having to wipe the steam off his glasses. <laughs> yes. And how, you know, we've talked about his glasses in the past, but, you know, it's just another example of how it's an added encumbrance, an added disadvantage having to wear glasses and and having it being impacted by the environment in this case. Or, you know, it, it makes me think of the inclement weather that I've been in wearing glasses, or if it's raining, especially when my eyesight was better, it would be easier for me to walk around without my glasses on because the rain would just make everything so blurry. Yeah, I could imagine. And then, you know, not to say that masks aren't important and should, you know, they should be used. Absolutely. But uh, I know the first time I started wearing masks, which was in Japan, um, you know, well before the pandemic, but mm-hmm. when I was living there, they have a culture just where... just consider people yeah, do. if you are feeling under the weather, you wear a mask. If someone, if one person in the classroom is wearing, is feeling under the weather, probably everyone's going to wear a mask. Uh, so I would wear a mask, you know, in those circumstances. And it was always so difficult, especially in the winter months, having the fog in my glasses for my breath just constantly. But that's why they created the spray for your glasses so that they won't fog up. Yeah, it's never worked for me, but maybe Mm. I'm not using it right, which is entirely possible. Maybe you're breathing too much. (laughs) That's probably (laughs) true. Uh, so yeah, I just was relating to BD at that moment uh, in totally. the small way that I can. But the the main touch point I want to discuss is uh, kind of following on how we talked about the fog as chemical warfare, looking at the Jabberjays as psychological warfare. Mm-hmm. Psychological warfare is one of the oldest forms of warfare that exist, uh, but it certainly is an important part of modern war as well. You know, starting in World War One, World War Two, psychological warfare often referred to kind of anti-propaganda pro- campaigns where uh, essentially like the British would have anti-war messaging they'd be sending out to the Germans mm-hmm. to make it so the German population or the uh, army members or whoever's receiving that message over radio, pamphlets, whatever, newspapers, whatever it might be, gets discouraged and doesn't want to continue to participate in that war. So that's, that's kind of what's often considered the modern definition of psychological warfare. But we, in our military in the United States, every single branch of our military has a psychological warfare division. Hmm. And so uh, just through some cursory research, I couldn't find out a ton about what those divisions do. What? Why? <laughs> do they keep that secret? Or I just don't, don't know how to research the military. Uh, I'm pretty sure they keep that secret. But I mean, Guantanamo Bay was kept secret for how long? True. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but you know, those kinds of activities certainly go on all the time, and you know, you could even argue that Russian bots that are affecting our election are engaging in a kind of psychological psychological warfare, mm-hmm. uh, and we're certainly doing the same back to them, maybe just less effectively. It's kind of sad to think that we really haven't changed that much as a species. Like, Mm -hmm. think about long, long, long ago when you would cut off your enemies' heads and throw them over the wall or put them on spikes or, you know, whatever as a form of psychological warfare. And it's like, oh, we'll just do it in a way that is a little less unsightly, you know? Yeah. I, I remember hearing in a history class in my undergrad the concept that even raping and pillaging in warfare mm-hmm. has been a form of psychological warfare. It's been a way of yeah, showing dominance, um, making people less willing to stand united against a you know invading force or, or what have you. But yeah. it's just, I think, a, 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 
an element of, of warfare that uh, in certainly our country, which is so obsessed with spending billions of dollars on jets and tanks and things like that, it's important that we're also spending a lot of resources on these kinds of activities as well. Because mm-hmm. as we see in this chapter, it can be extremely effective to traumatize people purposefully, to hurt the ones they love or threaten the ones that they love uh, as a way of trying to establish dominance. And yeah, it's just, I think, a a particularly cruel form of attack. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when I think about whatever that beast is that one of the tributes got dismembered by, that's probably a fairly quick death. So there's ways that the capital does allow for maybe still quote-unquote impressive, according to capital standards, uh, deaths, but ones that, that don't have to be so torturous. And this isn't even a death. It's uh, just a way of torturing someone. And yeah. And it's torturing people who are going to die. Exactly. So it's like... It's not for any lasting effect on their life. It's just because they want to and to show everyone else they exactly. can. Exactly. And, and as a form of entertainment, which yes. we always have to remember, that's what this is also for. And mm-hmm. that's just awful. Absolutely, yeah. But what were your touch points? So I feel bad for the Jabberjays. Hmm. Because it's not their fault. True. They're created and forced to serve this role and then they're getting killed by Katniss in the first one she wrings its neck for extra measure and throws it aside you know and it's she just won't like, even eat it yeah exactly and I'm like it's not their fault like I understand why she just can't have anything to do with it yeah but to me it was just reminding me you know it's like capitalists love to use animals in whatever ways to bring them pleasure. Mm. From horse races, to eating meat, to wearing furs. I mean, obviously not counting the people who actually wear furs because of the region that they live in right. and they have to because it's so freezing. Uh, them aside, the rest, it, it, it just, they don't care about the experiences of those animals. And... It's really disturbing. Yeah, that's a really good point. Mutts generally are creating beings Mm -hmm. um, that clearly have some kind of programming involved, but are still alive as well. Yeah. And using those animals as weapons, it's an even further form of objectification that Mm -hmm. we see. Well, and yeah, and it's so inhumane like some people are like oh we're inhumane well they're not humans they're animals so it doesn't matter but for me i interpret the word inhumane it's how the humans act towards whatever other humans the other animals like that says something about our humanity not Mm -hmm. not who we're acting towards or with And, and and for the mutts specifically i am sure they are only kept in cages and you know, have a very bad life until they're killed, uh, which is much closer to our animal product industry. Yeah. And yeah, it's just the the mistreatment or torture of these animals is is acceptable to people, and it's it's also acceptable to people in the the capital. Yeah, yeah, very good point. I was also thinking about more on killing animals. <laughs> The plan with the lightning and the wire is going to kill a whole, albeit small, ecosystem. Mm -hmm. It's going to kill the entire lake, and because everything there is dead, that's going to have effects on every other living thing in this jungle. So it's just the idea is like, well, we can get along without it. So it can be destroyed to reach our aims. Mm -hmm. And obviously, again, in this case, they don't have a choice to be in the arena. So they're not exploiting the environment in the same way that we exploit the environment in our context. But 
the capital is setting it up that way. I mean, and even creating these arenas, I'm sure, destroying all sorts of things uh, just because they want to make more profit, have more entertainment, you know, these different things. Yeah. Yeah. It's There's so much excess in this arena. One of the things that I was thinking about was how the transparent wall <laughs> around that wedge exists which, like, first off, you have to build a transparent wall that's not made of glass. It's mm -hmm. made of some transparent material. You have to make it large enough to fit around this huge area and transportable in some way, where it comes out of the ground or drops from the sky or something like that. Like, all of that takes so much, so many resources. And they do it just so they can torture someone. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Bad. <laughs> Another thing I, w I was thinking about is how kids in District 3 learn about how technology works at such a young age. And I was just like, kind of thinking about compared to Katniss and Peto, they grew up learning about coal mining. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't have as many helpful even Katniss was thinking about this earlier in the book like it's just another way that we are disadvantaged as a district because we don't even get any firsthand experience in this field unlike other districts at a young age and so everything is theoretical and there's nothing we can do with that in the arena yeah. and so I was just thinking about yeah disparities in education and how yeah, some really expensive schools are teaching kids really advanced things. Mm -hmm. And then, well, other schools, they don't get great quality education. Yeah, I mean, but even nationwide, I think about the, like, emphasis on STEM. Mm -hmm. And this idea that, oh, science, technology, engineering, math, these are the things that we really need to focus on as a society. Mm -hmm. And that's because the, that's where jobs are going. And that's how to keep mm -hmm. us competitive against other countries, like all these <laughs> other economic concerns, not like, because we think that this is important in the education of a, of a, mm -hmm. a healthy and knowledgeable person. Because this will help people be better emotionally adjusted. Exactly. And... <laughs> Yeah, the more funding a school has, the better those programs are going to be, the more they're going to be able to learn. Um, and, you know, that's side by side with all the other kinds of injustices that make education have so many issues, as we've talked about at length before. Yes, definitely. But now it's time for us to get off our soapboxes. And why don't we move into our wonderments? Okay, we never get off our soapboxes. <laughs> I mean, the wonderments, maybe. <laughs> we take a step down, briefly, sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, kind of, this is something that we've talked about a lot already, but my, my wonderment is basically how do people react to the Jabberjays? Um, mm -hmm. Because we've talked about Prim and we talked about Annie, and there's also other interesting perspectives out there too, where I wonder what it's like for Rory or Posey or Madge to see themselves weaponized against Katniss. And yeah, is there an element that is like, wow, I didn't know Katniss cared that much uh, that I could be used against her in that way. Yet also seeing how someone that is in their life and that maybe they care about quite a bit as well is going through this kind of torture that, that they're being used for. Um, you know, I think that that would be very hard. But I also wonder how the capital reacts. Mm. Because, frankly, it can't be very entertaining to watch people being tortured through these Jabberjays for an hour. Yeah, it's a really long time. Mm -hmm. And they're not moving. You're just hearing screams that you probably can't recognize. Mm -hmm. And if you can, I wonder, you know, or, or even just hearing Katniss yell Prim's name for those who do love Katniss and love the love story and all these things that, that they've been fed through the, the broadcasts, you know, are any of them worried about Prim? Are any of them thinking that this is too far? Already in a games that they think have 
been too far in other ways Mm -hmm. in, you know, hurting people that they care about for once and, uh, you know, Katniss being quote unquote pregnant and, and all these other kinds of things where we've already seen the capital audience be infuriated or aghast at aspects of these games and oh, what about anyone from the capital who one of their friends was turned into an avox or was executed or something like that yeah exactly yeah i just I, i'd like to imagine how that would affect people uh in the capital and as well as in the districts you know is this like you're saying a, a another call for action mm-hmm. against the capital or are there some people who do take this as a look at how powerful the capital is? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, you know, what would it be like for me to hear my family screams? Is it yeah. worth it to to risk that? Uh, so yeah, I just, as usual, wonder how these kinds of things are received for, you know, one of the unique things about the Hunger Games is that even though we're following Katniss as she goes through these awful events, the world is following her in a way as well. And seeing more about what that would be like I think would just be fascinating. Definitely and now I'm just picturing uh, segments that they already had ready mm. for Claudius Templesmith and Caesar Flickerman or whatever to be talking about it and with all of the surveillance that they have in the districts maybe they have footage oh look at katniss and madge interacting here like this is one of these people's voices and they'll like play a little clip of it or something to make it this like entertaining but like look cut to her now she's completely fine and it's just like a a laugh and oh look this is a way to get to know these people even better Mm -hmm. you know and in just a really terrible entertaining way yeah yeah i was also thinking about them the drapperge encounter is this we've had a lot of that (laughs) this episode (laughs) I, i was first thinking about katniss and finnick knowing the screams of annie and prim because they wake up from nightmares screaming all the time. Mm -hmm. But Katniss wouldn't know that for Gail or Madge or these other people. And so uh, I was like, oh, yeah, they must be saying things in a pained way. Um, Mm. Screaming actual sentences or parts of sentences or things like that so that they can actually recognize the voice. So I I was just kind of wondering about that process of one was it actually real were they actually secretly torturing these people just because snow would want to Mm -hmm. even if they're telling the whole world that this is an audio program that we're able to manipulate in that way and that's like on the side of the game makers just like a ha 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 we know the truth like this actually was people who were tortured even though they could do it they had the technological capabilities i could also see some of them just being like but why don't we just get the real thing it would be so much better it would would sound so much more authentic or something terrible like that but if they weren't real i was thinking about how did they made up what the audio would be mm. and if they based any of the sentences or, or things that they were saying to, to, to play in their voices if they based any of it off of what people who the capital actually has tortured has screamed or said um some could even be things that Cinna had said or and things like that you know just like Mm -hmm. how terrible and like another form of exploitation that could be going on of other people's pain yeah yeah i think that because it's such a different modality of torture Mm -hmm. um clearly we are both really like engaged with larger questions about yeah how this is received what it means what went into it then almost anything else that we've seen in in the games in in the arenas mm-hmm. yeah because mm-hmm. it's like fireballs oh no but... yeah this is very specific and very targeted yeah. and it would have to be very realistic yeah in a way that other things don't have to be yeah 
another thing that I was wondering was what the other horrors and the other clock wedges right. were. And and not just like what they were like, ooh, yay, because it's all horrible, but I want to know what they were so I can understand how the other victors who are still alive stayed alive. Especially considering how deadly we know that at least five of the eight wedges that we know about are. Mm-hmm. How did the man from district 10 survive even the amount of time he survived on his own or chaff if it was just katniss on her own she never could have survived the monkeys if she got caught in there you know and so Mm -hmm. i'm just very curious about what the other victors have been doing who are still alive or were still alive up until these chapters and how they've been navigating the arena Mm -hmm. yeah but when we move into our intention section, this is something that we're kind of taking with us into our own lives from these chapters or this discussion. Yeah, so uh, you touched earlier on how Katniss kind of was thinking about Beattie as a school teacher. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and as a teacher myself, uh, it made yeah, and me... And who has a teacher voice. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a teacher voice. Uh, it made me think about, you know, what makes a good teacher. Because she mentions how Beattie goes into his teacher voice uh you know he's he's clearly kind of imparting a lesson but he's also doing so in a way that's patient and that's understanding and that is isn't patronizing exactly it's intending to lead them to his conclusions um and i think that is a smart a sign of good teaching um you know as a his professor i try to facilitate students to to not only learn information but also to think about that information and to connect things or make arguments or or analyze or whatever else it might be um and so i am hopeful that me after 10 years of higher education uh you know i'm I'm hopeful that i don't do what bd does with the force field and just kind of situate myself so much in my knowledge and in my experience that I am not accessible to the students who are around me. So my intention is really to just uh, to be a little bit more intentional about when I'm lesson planning, ensuring that the information I'm providing is being presented in a way that is accessible and understandable, um, while also being something that my students can can learn from and can uh yeah i can facilitate that that learning that's nice i hope so (laughs) (laughs) the hunger games actually helping you with your own job yeah (laughs) (laughs) would not be the case for a lot of professions (laughs) what about you what's your takeaway i think mine was just really thinking about the privilege that I have because I've never had to experience psychological torture like mm-hmm. the Jabberjays, even though, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but people, as you know, you were talking about with psychological warfare and even not on a militaristic scale but even just in life you know people weaponizing loved ones is Mm. is not an unheard of thing in the world and i'm grateful that i've never had to experience that and it's just another aspect of privilege that i haven't um that i hadn't really thought about a lot previously yeah Yeah, that's a good point. All right, well, I think that will wrap up this week's discussion. What's happening next time on The Hunger Games? So we are going to be finishing the last two chapters. (gasps) Where things don't go to plan. Oh, no. And if things haven't caught fire by the end of this book, I don't know if this title is going to be completely correct. Yeah. (laughs) Good one, Chris. Thanks. We also have a little special announcement slash opportunity. Announce-a-tunity? Sure. 
the person who did our logo, who also happens to be my sister, does online guided creative retreats, which I always go to because they are great and I'm really bad about actually on my own time doing poetry and things like that. In a couple weeks, she is doing two that are Harry Potter themed. Ooh. I know, right? So if you are interested, those will be happening on Tuesday, July 19th, as well as Saturday, July 23rd. And if you use the code GEEKOUT, then you will get 15% off. So it's all caps, GEEKOUT at lacelit.com. I will be there. So that's an added perk as well. (laughs) Or it's a detriment. I'm not sure, but yes. A perk, I'm sure. (laughs) But yeah, come join for Harry Potter geekiness. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, if only you were creative. If only I had any creativity to me whatsoever. (laughs) I know, right? You could try. You could write bad poetry like we talked about uh, Fennec writing. Oh, no. (laughs) No one wants to see that. (laughs) Okay, well, thank you all so much for listening. You can find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. And we hope that you join us on Patreon so that you can get access to all the fun bonus features that we're doing for our supporters. And we have a lot coming up because we're doing our live Zoom session. There's trivia on this book that I've put together. We'll also have our movie commentary episode. Oh yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. After we watch the movie when we're finished with this book. So yeah, all of that is for our patrons. So go sign up. It's not too late. And if you already have, tell a friend. Get them to sign up too. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Instagram or Patreon. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! out.